Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 67, with Aaron Masick. Welcome to episode 67 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. Today on the podcast, I'm very happy to welcome my friend Aaron Masick to the show. Aaron has actually already had a few cameos on the podcast before in both asking questions. Um, he also appeared on the MLC Connect interviews, which we'll get into a little bit later on one of those halftime episodes. And then he was also actually a pre-scheduled guest about probably two years ago, I would say. And right around the time we were going to schedule, Aaron had actually accepted another position in sports, uh, so we ended up having to postpone, which we'll also get into. Anyhow, today Aaron is a senior graphic designer at Upper Deck Trading Card Company. And prior to that, he had stints with the San Antonio Spurs and the San Diego Padres as a senior designer. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Thanks for taking the time to come aboard, man. Yeah, thanks, Adam. I appreciate you reaching out and, and rescheduling around my schedule. I know it was crazy at the time I was leaving the Spurs, so and I had to follow up fan brands, and that's a hard, hard, hard act to follow there. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I know that you've listened to a couple episodes, so you're probably familiar with the format. But uh, why don't you kind of give us a little bit of your background, where you're from, kind of how you got into design, and then maybe just like a, a bird's eye view of your career path to Upper Deck. Sure. So uh, I grew up in, a, in in Wisconsin in a small town just outside of Milwaukee, right along the lake called Racine, Wisconsin. Uh, a really small town. The, the, our only claim to fame there is uh, pretty much Karan Butler from the Sacramento Kings, who I went to school with. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he actually he was uh, in school with me at the oh, time. Oh, you went to high school with him? Yeah, he was. Oh, he was cool. known. He was known as James Butler then, but mm. uh, he would go on to be you know the superstar that he is in the NBA, but. Uh, I started off pretty much, uh, I've always loved art. Uh, I was huge into drawing, so I was big into comic books. Uh, drew comic book stuff, got through high school, and uh, right after I got out of high school, I really didn't have a career path at that time. I really didn't know what I wanted to do or go into college, but I had a neighbor that lived across the street from me, and he knew a woman who worked in town at an animation studio and said, uh, my neighbor is really good at drawing Uh you know, you should check him out. So he set up kind of like an interview for me, and I went and seen her. It was called Karen Johnson Productions, and uh, she liked what I did. And I w- I had a stint there for a while, um, just working. Well, let me on let me just... let me interrupt you, man. An animation uh-huh. studio in Wisconsin, when where you were from in Wisconsin? Yeah, you wouldn't that's, you wouldn't expect it, but that's uh, pretty they crazy. Actually, yeah, they were actually doing uh, uh, picking up stuff from Disney. So they were actually doing storyboards and stuff for Disney. For uh, they had done Fern Gully and they had done some stuff for uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Wow, man, that's awesome. Uh, so I got kind of dabbled in that uh, the animation studio. It, it I had full time when I first got there, but um, their work started to to drastically cut, and then I was left at a point where. I was just like, wow, I'm not getting many hours here. What am I going to do? Uh, I've kind of played with Photoshop before because a friend had it in the neighborhood, and I was interested in that. So I ended up going to a community college uh, in Racine there, uh, Gateway. And I just just joined the program right away. Uh, they threw me right into the mix. I took all the classes and graduated, and that kind of got me off on my foot for graphic design work. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So, I mean, I, like, I would imagine that... Looking at your career path, um, and this is totally just an assumption. You're probably one of the <laughs> the notable alumni from from your local area, as far as like co- the the college is concerned. Oh yeah, I mean, I just, I I don't know how it is nowadays there, but uh, pretty much unheard of that. I mean, to go from you know small Racine, Wisconsin graphic designer, nobody knew to working at you know the Spurs and the Padres and stuff is is. Is you know it's pretty 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 special to to make it out of there and to actually get this far. So, yeah, no doubt, man. So you you worked for a few years. I noticed on your LinkedIn profile uh, in in other industries before transitioning into sports 
uh, full time. And yes. I just kind of want to talk about maybe that moment when you got the call from the San Antonio Spurs. I mean, it seems like it was a, such a pivotal moment in your career because from that point, I mean, you really haven't left sports at all since. Yeah, it was completely pivotal. I mean, uh, right, right when I left that animation studio, I graduated college. I got up my foot in the door at uh, a local hospital do, in a marketing department doing graphic design work for, you know, just, just just all the marketing materials, brochures and signage and everything for this hospital. And I, I stayed there for quite a few years. I mean, it was a comfortable job for me at the time. I was just like... You know, this is pretty good. But then, you know, I had always liked sports and I just never thought that that was a career path that you could get into. I'm like, how do you how do you even get into sports? Like who was ever in there is not going to leave. You, there's no chance you're ever going to get in. So I ended up staying at the hospital and then I switched jobs. I went from the hospital to a small marketing agency um, that was in Wisconsin at the time. And that's when the economy started to go bad and everybody basically I was one of the new guys on board so my job got cut right away and I was just like oh what am I going to do now it's like I can't find any design work here in Wisconsin and you know I'm at this point where it's like you know do I just give up or what do I do but my parents had moved down to Florida and uh, while I was looking for work, they said, why don't you just come down here to Tampa and, and you know, see what you can find down here. So I ended up moving with my wife. Uh, she was just like, let's get out of here and try it. So uh, we moved down to Tampa. I got my foot in the door, actually, with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, I just kind of sent them a, a cold email with some samples and just said, hey, I'm a designer. And, you know, I always, I always loved the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I sent them some various design samples and I didn't hear nothing back for weeks, almost months. And finally, they just gave me a a cold call and were just like, yeah, I know you're interested in doing some, you know, pick up freelance work for us. I was like, you know, let's do it. So got my foot in the door with uh, the lightning there and uh, didn't really last long because they had (laughs) they had the ownership change And and the ownership change at that time had let pretty much everybody go. So it's like I was left in limbo. And the people that brought me on were, were let go. So, well, that's pretty cool, man. Did you have any sports work at the time? Like any mock up stuff or anything at all? Or you got that solely based on your uh, previous work from like the hospital and stuff like that? Yeah, it was uh, basically a mix of both. I showed them stuff I had done at the hospital. I, I mean, I wasn't prepared fully, but I had done like, you know, my own mock up stuff for the Lightning and. It was just kind of winging it, like, oh, God, I hope, you know, I really never work in sports, but here's some of my stuff. So I wasn't really prepared, but, you know, it was interesting that it was, you know, they thought of it that much to, to reach back out to me and, and give me an, a chance there. So, yeah, absolutely, man. So after that, yeah, so um, after, you know, I got pretty much cut from the lightning and everybody got cut from the lightning, uh, I was in, it was in limbo again. And, I was like, wow, it's happening again. You know, it happened in Wisconsin. It's happened here now. And it's just like, what am I going to do? All my wife had family that lived in San Antonio. And they were like, has he ever tried any, you know, tried to send anything to the Spurs? And I was just like, well, no, you know, I've never sent anything. So, again, I did another cold call, just, you know, shoot out an email. Hey, I'm a designer and this is some stuff I do. And I showed them some of the lightning stuff and some of the hospital stuff. And I didn't hear anything back again for weeks or months. And all of a sudden here comes an email and they were like, uh, you know, we passed your stuff along to the marketing department here and, you know, they're interested and they might reach out to you. And I'm like, wow, you know, this is, this is pretty crazy. So, so was it, was it, um, did you just like go look for somebody's random email, like in their staff and just like cold email? Is that how that worked? Or did you kind of know of somebody? Yeah, I actually just went to their website and I looked at the front office staff and I was looking through anybody that would closely, you know, be closely related to the marketing or design or anything. And I just shot her email and didn't hear back. And then, like I said, and then finally she, she wrote back and said, I passed your stuff along to this woman in marketing. And then they, they called and said, we, uh, you know, we're interested in, in seeing more of your work. You know, are you available to, to come out and see us? And then it's crazy because they didn't, they didn't fly me out initially. They phone interviewed me first uh-huh. and I passed their, their phone interview and they didn't fly me out to our Skype interview me for the, for the next step. I actually, jumped in a car from Tampa, drove all the way to San Antonio to meet them in person. I mean, that's how like ambitious and and dedicated I was to 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 get there. Yeah. So that's awesome, man. So was it was it had they did they have like the whole in-house 
designer? Do they have any in-house designers at the time? Because I know that this is uh, the whole in-house creative department is really sort of a new thing, like within the last like five to ten years. Yeah, they they were kind of like a mix. They they had they had done very little in-house. They were actually using an agency in San Antonio to do most of their work. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, and then there was uh, basically they had web designers that were in-house, and that was about it. They really didn't have like too much of a print designer. They had somebody that would dabble in it, but they were taking the work that the creative agency had sent to them and basically being a production artist, putting that stuff together. Right, right. So you were there for almost five years, and when you left, your title was senior graphic designer. Just for those that maybe aren't privy to the NBA business, we obviously have a lot of different listeners from different, some that aren't even in sports at all. Uh, Just from like a business and ownership perspective, such as like the NBA or like an NBA organization Spurs sports entertainment, like owning multiple teams in multiple sports. Can you kind of talk about the, maybe the creative department structure there, like who you answered to and what you guys worked on in addition to like the, uh, the Spurs related projects? Yeah. So working at the Spurs, like everybody thinks, oh, you just work on Spurs, Spurs stuff. But like you said, it's an umbrella of different franchises. So when I was there, we did work for the Spurs. We did work for the WNBA, which is their San Antonio Stars team. We did work for the AHL Hockey, which is the San Antonio Rampage team. We did stuff for the for the NBA D-League, which is the Austin Toros, which is now the Austin Spurs. And then we also worked on just the, the venue itself, the AT&T Center. So... I mean, you get a good mix. There's never there's never an off time when you work under the umbrella of companies. And uh, the way we were structured is uh, we were part of the marketing department. Uh, we answered to the marketing director, and then the marketing director answered to the uh, the executive team. Now, were you guys doing like much? Because uh, I know sometimes it's like a real estate company involved as well. Were you guys doing much as far as like concerts and just like events that would happen at the arena? Yeah, they. I mean, they would do the. I mean, they always had uh, events in and out of the arena. So basically, we didn't work too too much on the stuff. We would get uh, pretty much the production work from concerts. You know, that were sweeping through town. They would send us all the artwork, and we were basically being a production artist and just you know applying those to flyers and, and name badges and signage that we had to do in the arena. Yeah, yeah. So you did the Austin Spurs logo. I, I really like that logo. It's just, uh, just as a as an aside, pretty cool. Um, so, did you ever have the opportunity <laughs> to interact with or work with old Coach Popovich? <laughs> I, I had one run in with Popovich, and that was uh, I was. It was when the NBA had that lockout briefly. I forget. I, it was like my first season there, I think, and. He had been walking through the offices and he just briefly stopped behind me. He was like looking over my shoulder when I was working and he's like, what are you doing? I was just like, just, I'm just designing stuff, you know, I just, <laughs> I, just designing stuff, coach, you know, and he's like, well, you're doing more than my players are right now. And then he just kind of walked away. So that's, I mean, that's Popovich in a nutshell. I mean, he's going to zing you with a with a comment and then take off. So well, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. <laughs> well, you always wonder because you always hear so many stories about him and like how he just seems like he's like this <laughs> really like intimidating character. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely like I happened to see the shadow pass behind me. I looked back and I'm like, oh wow, it's Coach Pop. Like, <laughs> is, is he is he going to drill on me right now? Like, what, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. So it looks like, I mean, the Spurs are really one of the most, honestly, one of the most consistent teams year in, year out in the NBA. And I know that Charles, just being an NBA fan myself, Charles Barkley and a lot of the inside the NBA guys are always big on the Spurs. Um, but I know it's been a couple years since you've been there. But if you can kind of remember and, and go back to that point, can you talk about winning and sort of how being consistent affects morale around the office or or does the excitement kind of ring through to the marketing staff and inspire the work at all? I mean, definitely. I mean, the, the Spurs in and out, you know, they're going to the playoffs. You, you know, we got a chance to get the trophy every year. So we're always excited to, you know, when we got past All-Star break to, to really put it into gear and, and start, you know, vamping up for the playoffs. And that was just like mostly all the outdoor signage and stuff. I When I first got there, they didn't have a lot of it. And then um, I noticed that people kept pulling up to the building, taking photos of our building. And I'm like, there's nothing out here that 
says it does the San Antonio Spurs play here. Right. So I approached the executive team and said, you know, I keep seeing, you know, tourists come by constantly taking photos of the building and standing and posing in front of the building and there's nothing outside that that says, you know, San Antonio Spurs. So I eventually got the green light to go ahead and, and really you know, put across to them that we need, you know, especially for the playoffs and everything to really beef up the the marketing outside. And, you know, they still continue to do it now that after I left, but it was, uh, you know, it's just, a, it's miraculous that, you know, such a team that that's, that's so consistent with winning and everything didn't have really a brand outside the building that, you know, said San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, no doubt, man. And, you know, that's actually pretty interesting that you approached them about that because that, I mean, in a nutshell, is is design as a strategic business asset, right? I mean, you you saw an opportunity for branding outside the building that wasn't there. People were already taking the pictures. Let's help them out. Throw some Spurs stuff in the background. I mean, that's in my opinion, that's the way that designers need to be thinking instead of just like, let's just make something cool. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Like, there's I mean, a reason thought- behind it. Yeah, exactly. My thought was, you know, I used to take lunch in front of this giant window that looked outside and I, I could see these people coming up to the building. And I was just like, if I'm a fan, I just kept thinking to myself, if I'm a fan and I come up here first time seeing the San Antonio Spurs, I want to be wild. I want I want to drive up, see the giant Spurs somewhere. I want to see Tim Duncan. I want to see Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili. You know, and it's, they just didn't have that. So I was just like a green green light went out of my mind. I was just like, I got to, you know, tell somebody. So I went to the executive team and said, you know, we got to brand this outside of the building somehow. I said, there's just too many people coming by looking for the Spurs experience and they're not really getting it. Well, that's awesome, man. And and it almost, uh, in, in a sense, you've almost sort of, that's sort of your stamp. Your, I mean, obviously you've done like some of the logo work and stuff like that, but that's almost like a legacy stamp in, in San Antonio where, I mean, they're still doing it today, right? And it was like your idea. Yeah, they're still carrying it on today. Uh, my buddy Jason, who I worked with side by side there, is kind of moved into my role now, so he's, he's continuing to do it, so... So what did, were you part of the, uh, the championship team in 2014? I was, and it's just, it was the experience of a lifetime. I mean, it cannot be, uh, I mean, I'll always remember it, always cherish it. And uh, they actually let me travel on uh, both seasons. The first season, they, you know, they took so many employees with and they sent them to Miami on a, on a private plane. They paid for our hotel. They set us up for, for the game. So that's cool. And Did I you- got to go back, I got to go back to back on both, in both years. That's awesome, man. So, do you, uh, for as an employee, from an employee perspective, do you get a ring? I do have a ring. That's awesome, man. That's a great. <laughs> it's a great little relic to take with you from your time there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was it's outstanding. And then when we got back, actually, we had won the championship, and it was uh, they sized us for a ring. And then months later, they had the ceremony for the employees, and actually, Sean Elliott was there to to MC the event, and he would call you down and, and present the ring to you, and you get a photo with them. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I remember Sean Elliott. I mean, just being a child of the '90s, <laughs> like it's totally. How old are you again? Yeah, I, I'm up there. So, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, like, there's something about the NBA, the '90s. I mean, you listen to the show. Like, I, I'm so in love with that era. Although I do think now that it's like I think today, like the NBA is probably more exciting than it's been in a long time. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I'm always going to remember the '90s. I mean, of course, with Jordan. I mean, they had so many great players in the '90s, but it's kind of that transition to nowadays. I mean, they got so many great players now that kind of carried the torch for that. Yeah, well, I noticed you talk to uh, Tom O'Grady every once in a while on Twitter, and he's he's sort of, you know, he's the guy that sort of created that era for for us, you know, us us that that kind of grew up in that era. Oh, definitely. I mean, Tom, Tom's a cool guy. We always go back and forth. Like, I'll, I'll poke at him, and a new logo comes out. I'll be like, "What do you think, Tom?" <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, we have we have fun that way. And I mean, I mean, the guy's a big part of you know my my high school growing up. Like, I pretty much wore like every probably jersey logo he created at the time. So yeah, no doubt, man, no doubt. So you did have the opportunity. We talked about how you worked with multiple teams that the Spurs organization owned. And one of those was the San Antonio Stars, the WNBA team, which is owned by mm-hmm. Spurs Sports Entertainment. Yep. Can you maybe discuss the the thinking and maybe talk about some of the process behind that work? I mean, for example, was it a was it approached as a big project or was it more of, hey, we need a logo, make one real quick type thing? Uh, well, 
they knew that they that we were going to change the name coming up. Uh, they were going to drop the Silver Stars was the original name, San Antonio Silver Stars, and they had actually contacted the NBA creative department to come up with logos. And the NBA had sent over a bunch. I saw the drafts, and they sent them over. And the executive team they knew I was a logo guy, and happened to come back by back by the office and passed by my desk and said, "Aaron." Uh, you want to look at these logos? What? Tell me what you think. And they kind of just threw down like all the all the paperwork for all these logo designs. And I was just like, you know, there, there's some in there that were pretty cool, but uh, the executive team at the Spurs was just like, I don't, I don't like it, the direction they're going. I don't like any of them. What can you do for us? So I was just like, it was kind of just like bestowed upon me, I guess, to yeah to st- start the process and and talk to the uh, you know the the president of the company, and I kind of was just working hand in hand with him and the vice president. They would give feedback. I started I started doing multiple different you know ways of thinking. The first way of thinking was they wanted the team to look like the Spurs, but not be the Spurs. And the thing we were first exploring was you know the the actual enclosure around the stars to be more like the enclosure that was around the the Spurs primary logo. But I thought for a WNBA team, it was too, it was too heavy for a woman's team to have this enclosure. It just didn't look, uh, you know, just quick or fast. It just looked like it dragged the logo down. So a lot of the first processes we went through were that was that primary logo with an enclosure until I could, pretty much talked the executive team into saying, you know, I think this this isn't the right direction. And they kind of listened to me and we restarted the whole process again and we streamlined it down to to kind of what it is now. Yeah. Now do they is there like a um I know there's like an approval process with the so like the Milwaukee Bucks and the guys up in uh at Double Dan Cartwright when they did that they had to go through the um you know, through the the NBA front office to get things approved and that type of thing for apparel. Is it, it does the same thing kind of work with the WNBA? I mean, is it going through? Because it almost seems like all of them sort of look like they belong together in a sense. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's like you know, I'm, I'm on I'm on Creamer's website right now, and it's like here's the here's the WNBA logos. Is that part of yeah. the strategy? It is part of the strategy, and I discovered that when working for, you know, doing the Stars logo and doing the Austin Spurs logo is that it does go through NBA creative in the main, you know, in in NBA, and there's a guy there who basically takes a look at it and says, okay, this isn't going to work. This is what you should do now, and he'll send it it back to you with a write-up on there of why this logo should be changed or why you should add this into the logo or why this should be taken out of the logo. So I just I completely didn't know about that process, and then uh, one little tidbit for uh, NBA D League is that you can have a primary logo, but the secondary logo must contain a basketball. Oh, interesting, huh? So that that I found to be completely interesting because I had done all these primaries, and then the first thing to come back from the NBA was there's no basketball in your logo. Wow, and I and I was just like, uh, just because you know I had direction to not add in a basketball, and they were like, well, if you do a secondary logo, it must contain the basketball. Huh, that's an interesting little tidbit there. Yeah, for sure, that's cool. So um, back in, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but I had you scheduled to come aboard back in two thousand December two thousand fourteen, and you, it was it was literally happened to be the month that you decided to take a position with the Padres and you moved out to San Diego. So I'm curious, what was your transition like moving across country to Southern California to a completely different professional sport that is right at what I'd imagine is a very busy time in baseball, getting ready for spring training and and doing the campaign work for the season. Oh yeah. I just, I jumped right into the fire on that one. I had no idea, but uh, I just reached a level at the Spurs where I thought I hit the ceiling and, I was kind of mulling over, you know, do I stay here? Do, you know, or is there anything beyond this? And I think everybody who's in a sports design role for a team eventually will hit this wall mm-hmm. or feel that way, and you you start second guessing yourself. But I just thought, you know, it's time for for a fresh change. Let me, you know, I saw the Padres had posted the position. I said, well, you know, I. I've never, you know, I've grew up around the Milwaukee Brewers and everything, but this could be interesting, you know, why not give it a shot? So I sent my stuff off to the Padres and, 
did the interview, phone interviews and did a Skype interview and they got the call and they were like, you know, we want you here. So yeah, I'd, I'd imagine your wife was like, heck yeah, let's go live in Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my wife, yeah. My wife was all for it. So <laughs> yeah, that, that can't be, that can't be a, a, something that you have to really do some convincing on. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, we got to the, got to San, uh, San Diego here and yeah, like you said, I mean, I jumped right into <laughs> the fire with the Padres. There was no I didn't getting know. your feet wet in that scenario. <laughs> yeah. There, it, I hit the ground running for sure. And it was just like the, the plethora of things that you have to do for baseball is just amazing. Like, Hats off to anybody working for a baseball team because this is just—I mean—a season opener, and it's just is absolutely crazy for work. Well, I think what's so crazy about baseball is that, like most sports, especially just professional sports, the games are always either at night or on the weekends. And in baseball, you just have these games like in the middle of the day during the week. Yeah, exactly, and it's just like nonstop creative. I mean, you're if you're not doing a a print ad, you know a, a. you're doing multiple digital web ads. You're, you're, it's just nonstop. I mean, they, they, they work at such a fast pace, and there's just so many projects coming through the door that you just you're, you're on your toes constantly. Yeah, and so many games. Now, do you have the opportunity, like, if there's a day game, do you have the opportunity to just like pop out of the office and like oh, I'm going to go actually work, do live stuff during this game, or is it just like now nah, I got to stick around the office and get stuff done? Well, there's like a balance. I mean, if if you're really slammed, you tend to just stick in the office. But uh, most of the time, uh, when we weren't slammed, we would pop out there for lunch, and they you get an employee discount, so we would just grab yeah. some food, <laughs> kick back, we're gonna watch a couple of innings, and then get back to the back into the office. So yeah, yeah. Was there so obviously my experience? Most of it comes from working in college sports, um, and and a lot of people that work in college know that you you tend to switch sports a lot. I, I mean, now there's some positions out there like Matt Lang in Alabama, where mm-hmm. it's it's more focused on maybe one sport like football recruiting or whatever. But I, I think for most college sports designers, it's kind of like hey, we're in and out on like all these different sports. So I'm curious from the professional sports perspective. Is there like a is there a mindset that you have to kind of get into like where you're just you're you're stuck in sort of these nuances in one sport and now you have to like forget about those and move into this other sport because now that you're doing it like full time? Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between you know working on definitely working on your basketball to hockey to to, to WNBA to you know Padres baseball. It's just. The aesthetics are the same. You're always thinking about like the design aesthetics, but the sports are completely different. So they appeal to different, you know, crowd who people that stuff you do for basketball might not appeal to the people who, you know, are diehard baseball fans. So it's kind of like you have to not completely change your style, but curve your style just a little bit to, to kind of just speak to those audiences. Yeah. Well, what about from like uh, maybe uh, an, an upper level league level like MLB oversight level or like an NBA oversight level were there any differences in terms of that perspective maybe just from like a culture or creative process uh it's it's pretty much pretty much the same uh you know you're gonna there's only so much you can do creatively uh it's a lot of it is you know that the information you get is you know you don't want to distract too much away from the player photography has to be clean. Uh, you don't want to add, I mean, that's not a thing I think a lot of uh, aspiring young sports designers think they, you know, they go on Behance, they see somebody who's taken a graphic of a player and added like 50 layers of Photoshop yeah. effects on this player. Well, when you get to the to actually work in pro sports and work for a team, that that doesn't usually fly too well. <laughs> with the, <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine with the marketing team or the executive team. So the, the I mean, these players are their showcase. Uh, they, yeah, the, you, you can't bog them down with you know fifty Photoshop effects. <laughs> oh, right. They, we're they not, to be, we're not trying to yeah. showcase the artists here. We're trying to showcase the actual players and their faces. <laughs> exactly, and that's and that's what it boils down to. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. They they see stuff on Behance and they're like, well, I'm going into sports design and I'm going to do these, you know, these awesome posterizer type type deals. And when they get into the door, they get their foot in the door. They find out that, you know, the marketing team and the executive team, that's just not going to fly with them. So, yeah. Yeah. I'd imagine they kind of want something pretty clean and let's get the message across. 
Exactly. The message and putting people in the seats and, you know, getting people interested in the team and buying merchandise and everything that, that, that comes before your cool graphics you can create pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Well, while we're on that topic, we, we were, um, we were down at MLC connect and for anybody that's not familiar, that's major level creative connect, which is an in-house conference for people that work in professional baseball organizations. And I think there were a couple other professional sports teams there. It was founded by Chris David Garcia, who's the creative director of the Houston Astros and who also actually happened to be a guest on episode 42, if anyone is interested in wanting to learn more about that. But anyhow, one of the, the beautiful things about that conference is it's mostly comprised of designers working in-house for professional sports teams that face very similar challenges, like how to establish themselves as experts in-house, maybe fighting to get their seat at the table from a strategy perspective amongst marketing executives and, and the like. You and I, we've, we've actually had a lot of pretty passionate conversations on Twitter and in, and in person at that conference about some of the downfalls of working in the sports industry. It's, it's one of those things that's always so sexy from an outsider perspective. But I think what you get in, and especially when you get on a senior level, you start to realize there isn't a whole lot of upward mobility, uh, both in regards to salary and just the corporate ladder in general. Can you maybe touch on some of your thoughts on that type of stuff? And maybe if there's any frustrations you want to share, or just like give us, give us like the, the, the real kind of raw and uncut here, you know, like the people that sort of from the outside are always like, oh, it's a super sexy job, like kind of let's bring everybody down to earth, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah. to speak. So, you know, I'm going to take the quote from my, from our best buddy here, Todd Radom, who said, uh, it's a sausage making process. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's just like, you know, and I always call it the Wizard of Oz. I said, you, you know, you want to go see the wizard, but once you go see the wizard, you're kind of disappointed when that curtain's pulled back, you know, and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when you get in, I mean, you have all these expectations. I mean, you're doing the, the cool graphics at home, you know, you got your, all your stuff ready. And it's just like when you first, you know, you get into a pro team that, you know, that anything that you had done, your, your super awesome graphics aren't really going to be applied because this is a business. And, you know, these are very, you know, expensive money producing businesses here. And you got to, you know, just suck it up and and know that you're not the you're not going to be the rock star that you probably have in your mind that you're going to get to a team and just be like, oh, I'm a you know the super rock star designer, and it's just not happening because you, there's so many people's hands in the cookie jar with what you create and and what comes you know through your desk for and just the revisions that you have to do upon revisions upon revisions that. A lot, a lot of people are going to, you know, find out that that's the side of the business that they don't know about is you're not going to do the glamorous stuff all the time. You're not going to do the the sexy billboards. You're not going to do, you know, the the awesome signage around the arena most of the time because of the feedback that you get and that and you know the just the message you have to get across. And you're going to work on a lot of materials that you probably don't expect. You know, a lot of your time is going to be spent spent working on. Uh, marketing and sales materials you're doing you know flyers for for the sales team you're doing you know girl scout night for the sales team and stuff and these yeah. are the projects that like people sponsorship presentations yeah exactly and these are the, the the sponsorship decks that you have to create and you know all this materials that you you just don't think about when you're trying to get into sports you don't think about you know all the those things that you have to do that are beyond you know just just the Photoshop through the very basic production work you got to do. Yeah, and it's I think it's totally one of the, one of those things where you almost make this transition from you see all these kids, you know, and all power to them, like honing their Photoshop skills and that type of thing, creating creating on their own, doing having the initiative to even do personal projects as opposed to just like sitting around playing Xbox all day or whatever. <laughs> but um, you know, there there's totally a transition between. You're you're making digital art, and now you're a graphic designer for a team. Because you know when you become a graphic designer for a team, you're essentially you're a marketer. I mean, your job is to market this product. Now that's it, right? It's not about it's no longer about creating like some award winning, <laughs> you know, visual design or whatever. It, it seems like. Yeah, it's like you can try to be as visual and outgoing with your Photoshop, your Illustrator work as possible, but you know, you just just be aware that when you hand that in, that there's going to be multiple people who aren't graphic designers that are going to be telling you that this is the way it should be done, and you kind of just have to suck it up and just uh, 
just move forward with it. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. And, you know, it, it, I don't want people to have too much high expectations when they see work, like, you know, like I said, on Behance and stuff that, you know, the super sexy side of what you think the business is, but you got to be ready to, you know, put up with the boring brochures, the, the, the boring sponsorship, you know, mock-ups that you have to do and stuff like that. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think that we're not, in any way, we're not trying to be like some negative Nelly here. Like it's, it's, it's one of those things where I view this podcast as educational and this is part of that education, right? Let's be, let's be rough. Let's be real. Let's be raw and let's let people know what it's really like. I mean, it's not, it's a grass is always greener scenario, you know? Yeah, definitely. We're not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to put into perspective that, you know, a lot of these young designers don't know you know, going in, they think that, you know, if they see that stuff on Behance or whatever, they don't know, they don't understand that, you know, it's a business and, and you got to, just as good as you are with your Photoshop, you better be good at, you know, your InDesign work and laying out brochures and flyers too, so. Right, and it's and it's kind of like, let's set expectations early so that when you get in, you're not, your whole, like, <laughs> your whole dream isn't ruined, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, like I said, the Wizard of Oz, it's like the curtain being pulled open and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. Um, well, I think generally, for the most part, in, in a lot of different industries, designers tend to be undervalued. I think one of the industries that's kind of changing a lot of that is sort of just like the technology industry with Facebook and and just some of those user experience firms and how they're how well they're paying designers. Um, but it seems like sort of just kind of staying in the same vein of what we were talking about, that sports is just, it's one of the worst. I mean, one of the things, I heard an interview one time with Mark Cuban, and uh, it, was on, it was on Sports Geek Podcast, actually. It's a pretty good podcast, a guy from uh, Aust- Australia that does this show. It's kind of about the technology side of sports. But he had, anyway, he had Mark Cuban on his show, and uh, the, the host's name is Sean Callahan. Anyway, he had Mark Cuban on his show, and, and he asked about, like, what's advice... <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be brutal right here, but he asked, "What is uh, what's the advice? The best advice you would give somebody for for going to work that wants to work in sports?" And Mark Cuban goes, "Don't." <laughs> <laughs> and 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 honestly, like it's kind of interesting from a guy who's an owner sitting here, fully acknowledging, like, listen, sports is is an industry where at every single level, people are willing to work for free to get their feet wet. And so if you're exactly. wanting, yeah, if you're wanting to. Um, you know, and that's on all levels, not just design, but marketing and, and everywhere else. But and it's like if you're wanting to create a life that is sort of like uh, almost like high net worth or whatever, you have to realize that working, uh, in, you know, in a sports organization for the most part is for many, many most people the mo- biggest percentage of people is not going to be that that life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, unless you get on the ownership level and and that type of thing. But, you know, I'm curious, what, what, where do you think that these sort of issues stem from? I mean, is it, is it the, a culture that maybe we've created for ourselves as designers, or is it a little of both? Yeah, it could be a little of both, because it's just like, the way I see it is just like, you go in and, I mean, you're not going to be, like I said, you're not going to be that rock star, you're not going to get that, that huge paycheck that you think of it. It's like, it's almost like, you know, you should feel honored just to be, working for a sport team and if you don't like it we'll just replace you with you know somebody who would take less or an intern yeah and it's kind of there's always going to be somebody without kids without a spouse that's <laughs> that's going to yeah, do your so, job I for mean, much less money <laughs> yeah so it's kind of like the, that's kind of like the harsh reality it's like you i mean it depends on your lifestyle i mean if you got family to support or whatever it's just like do i stay here and just you know knowing that I could probably make more going, you know, doing elsewhere. Just do, do I stay here for the sake of that it's sports and, you know, I really love sports and I just want to stay here. I mean, that's a personal, that's a personal decision and a, right. and a choice that somebody's got to make. But, you know, just know that, I mean, it, just know that, you know, when you're working in sports, I had guys that I worked with, you know, that went on to do other things and they, and they would say like, you know, I'm, I'm making so much money now. And we were just like mind blown. We were like, wow, like how can he be working, you know, for a, a grocery store company making, you know, that much more than us and, and yeah, we're yeah. working for a major sports team. But I, I mean, that's just the reality that it's not. You know, I, I mean, you're among among your peers and among people who work in sports. I mean, that's cool. But like people like outside of sports, I mean, if, if all you have when you leave is a portfolio of sports work, 
you know, and they're looking at you and they're like, oh, all you do is sports. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> dude, kinda... that's the worst, man. That is so annoying when people are just like, oh, you're the sports guy. Like, can you not look and see that there's good typography in this and that there's like actual like layout fundamentals? Like, this stuff transcends industry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think you almost get like, you almost get pigeonholed when you stay in sports too long. And it's just like, if you try to go elsewhere with your portfolio and all you have is your sports stuff, people like, look at your portfolio and they're just like, oh, all you do is sports stuff. You can't, you know, you can't create a label. You can't, <laughs> you know, yeah, you can't yeah. create something else besides sports stuff. Well, and, and I think, you know, uh, our values change too as we change as, as individuals. I mean, when we're young, when you're younger, you're super passionate about your team. Maybe you go work for that team and you're, you're this, having something like season tickets is exciting for you. You can bring your buddies, you can go out after the game or whatever. And then, you know, you get married, things change. You got to spend a little more time <laughs> with your spouse. Then, then, uh, um, you know, then maybe you have kids even, and it's like, now you spend more time with your kids and your, your values just completely change. I mean, you can't spend all day and all night at, at the basketball arena. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'll eat you up. And I mean, when I first got in, I was just like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to sit here all day. I'm going to, I'm going to attend every single game. And it's just like, after a while, I was just like, okay, I just, I just want to go home tonight. I don't want to, I don't want to be in the building right now. Yeah. So it's just like, <laughs> do you like, find yourself ever just like, um, or during that time, I mean, obviously now your your position's a little different, but maybe during those days, did you find yourself just like not watching things like Sports Center or games at night because you're just like, you know, I work in sports all day. I don't really want. I kind of just want to watch like mindless Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I got to a point where it's just like, I mean, every everybody's an experience sometime, but it, you will get a sports burnout. I think, and a lot of uh, you know, people I worked with in sports feel the burnout too, and it's just like the last thing you want to be is anywhere near the arena sometimes so yeah yeah no doubt now kind of moving on a little bit in these conversations i think you're it's pretty obvious that your thoughts and some of your experiences eventually led you to make the transition to out of team sports and so now you're working in consumer products i know you've kind of only been at upper deck for four months which is probably just enough to get your feet wet so to speak unless uh-huh. you kind of had just like a full dive in like <laughs> like the padres but um i'm curious what was what was that transition like moving from kind of the whole in-house creative role on on the team side to now you're creating products that are for sale in the public and you're not necessarily affected directly by selling tickets or whatever Yes, I mean, it's, it's completely different. I was scared to leave. You know, I've been so used to doing sports stuff with the the Spurs and then, you know, in a year with the Padres that I was just like, can I really leave this industry? Like, I think that a lot of people that work in like at a sports team, you kind of get tunnel vision where you're like, can I even exist outside of a sports team? Can I, can I make a jump? Can I do something else, you know, and I was kind of hesitant at first. I had actually gotten contacted by a recruiter for the upper deck position. He was just like, I know what you did at the Spurs. I know what you're doing at the Padres. I think you'd be good for upper deck. And I was just like thinking to myself, oh, this guy, you know, why is he calling me? Like, is this a joke? Like, I'm like, I'm not going to leave, you know, this position. And he kind of just poked at me a couple times until until I finally was just like, you know, maybe I should consider this. And then I actually went and had the interview with Upper Deck, and they gave me a, a card project uh, for an o, uh, Alex Ovechkin card to to mock up to see if I was ready to to work for Upper Deck, and I did it, and I passed, and got got my feet in the door, and it's uh, doing the you know only being there four months, but I, I think it's I'm learning so much more in just four months than I have in you know the last couple of years, and and. Working for consumer products is just just completely different than, you know, working for in-house creative team at a, at a sports team. Well, that's cool, man. I mean, I think that having doing any kind of sports card work just seems like such a cool job. From a lot of us that grow up in sports, that I think there's a couple of like dream projects for designers in sports when you're growing up. It's kind of like, oh, I'd love to design a sneaker, or I'd love to, and and I think that designing trading cards falls into that because we all grow up uh, that you know passionate about sports, passionate about the visuals of sports, even if we don't necessarily know what those are at, at our age at the time. But you know, it's trading cards. It's one of those things that sort of. 
just this little pleasurable experience that we all remember as kids, right? And even just like our parents. I mean, my, my dad, there's a card shop. <laughs> there's a card shop in my hometown, my small little Kentucky hometown, and it's it's still open. And my dad will pop by there even still today every once in a while and buy cards, especially my, my uh, his sister's son, my first cousin is Matt Carpenter who plays for the St. Louis Cardinals. So like my dad definitely, he tries to go in there and he's just like, if you get any Matt Carpenters in, let me know. And he goes and <laughs> just, just like buys those. But I remember going with him as a kid to, uh, to, to go to the card shop and buy cards. And I remember we got super addicted at one time. It's like you're rolling up there and you're just like opening packs and so excited. And then you buy like the Beckett to see like, <laughs> is anything worth anything? Is that still, um, I, I've sort of, over the, the last couple of years, well, the last probably 10 years, I mean, just kind of gotten away from it. But now that I have mm-hmm. kids, I'm kind of like, you know, we're going to Toys R Us or whatever. And it's like, oh, look, there's a whole card area. Let's go yeah. check that out. I kind of want to like push them into it, you know? So is that, is that culture still there? Like, is it, is it still pretty prevalent? Yeah, that culture is alive and well. And I didn't think it was going to be that much alive and well when I got there. I was kind of like, do people really collect like, you know, are super collectors still? And, you know, I was actually surprised that like they're the NHL cards that Upper Deck do is just like the fans are like completely crazy for them. And they actually started doing um, uh, e-packs, which is e-cards now. And you can purchase a pack of cards from Upper Deck that you get digitally and if you open them and you happen to get like a jersey card or an autograph card you can actually take that card send it send that notice to upper deck and say i want the physical card and upper deck will send you that physical card that you got in your epac which i thought was pretty awesome wow, that's awesome man yeah integrating digitally i mean that's one of those things where we just automatically think of cards as like this physical print piece and and it's interesting to see how they've kind of made a transition into into the digital digital world what's what's uh what's the typical like production schedule of like a new series of cards from like maybe like idea to concept to printing and then finally out to like the consumer are you familiar with that yet yeah i'm kind of familiar with it it's uh the schedules are pretty far out in advance so it's it's unlike anything like in sports design i've been used to you know we need this right now even though we planned for it six months, we just gave it to you today. Yeah. Now, now get it done. <laughs> yeah. But Upper Deck is like, they, they have pretty good schedules. Uh, they're very uh, lenient on you taking your time and making sure that you develop you know, that product correctly. And that along the way, you're just kind of showing you know, the cards that you create to the, to the manager of that product. And they're giving you the feedback and you're just kind of going back and applying that. And you're just moving along kind of gracefully and, it's real, it's, you know, the pressure of of getting stuff done right away, like as a sports team just isn't there. They actually want you to take your time and make sure that you're doing everything correctly and that you're that everything's appealing and you're coming with a new focus, a new direction. So it, that, the, working for a sports team and working for Upper Deck is like night and day right now. So is it is it split up to where, like, I mean, you mentioned doing stuff for hockey. Are, do you have people that are sort of geared only towards one sport or are you kind of just like you're you're one of the sports designers so you're kind of transcending basketball football whatever yeah so at upper deck we got a lot of entertainment we have people that are just solely doing entertainment cards so they're working on you know hello kitty they're working on marvel comic books they're working on the the the, the trading card playing games that Upper Deck is producing. And then they got, you know, our little group of the guys that are doing the sports. So the guy next to me is working on, you know, uh, Canadian hockey cards. And then the guy over the, you know, sits across from him is working on, you know, an NHL series. And, you know, I happened to just be wrapping up. I, I did my first project at Upper Deck was the Canadian Football League cards, which I'm just wrapping up right now. Uh, doing a set for USA football, and then uh, they're moving me into the NHL, so I'll actually be working on my first NHL series. That's cool. So you don't have anything out that's like out in the wild necessarily right now that we can like go see and. No, not yet. It's uh, it's gonna go into engineering pretty soon, which is pretty cool because uh, as you design your cards and you finish them up, you pretty much hand them over to the pre-press production department. They're gonna make sure that those cards are accurate for print so those guys are going to basically take what you did now and streamline it and make sure everything is set up perfectly for print and then from there it's actually going to go to the printers and then 
you know, they're going to start weeding it out, you know, down the line and it should come out by, I think the fall or, or I think it's the fall that they're going to start rolling out. Is the, do you guys, is the printing, is it all done in house? Like, do you have big presses there or is it sort of like that part's outsourced? Yeah, that part is outsourced now. They used to have printing uh, directly there, which they loved, I guess. But now it's uh, they have an outsourced facility. I think I want to say once in Carolina, once in Texas, that they actually do the actual physical production of all the cards there. That's cool. So from like a design perspective, I mean, I think the card industry is very innovative when it comes to things like printing processes, like die cuts and different glosses and using different types of paper and that type of thing. How much does that play into your role as a, as a designer there? I mean, that's, that's, yeah, exactly. You hit it on the head. It's, it's huge. And I'm just learning, like I'm getting caught up right now to speed with all these technologies, like, you know, rainbow foils and, and, and die cuts and lenticular cards and cards that you can like see through. And so I was, I mean, that's that's completely foreign to me when I got in. I knew about die cuts and stuff because I had right. done like season season, you know, packaging for the Spurs and everything. But uh, from a card level to actually talk with the guys who are in the engineering department and to know like, OK, you can do this design and they'll look at it, but they'll say, you know, it's it's not going to work when it gets to print. And here's why. So, you know, having their feedback and actually learning all these processes is amazing because what you can do in that tiny little card to actually have to, you know, we call them print rotation. So when you're done with your card, it's going to go into a print rotation. And what they're going to do is basically like Adobe Photoshop layers, they're going to split that card into so many different layers and say, this is when the foil goes down. This is your PMS color is going to go down on this layer and and your die cut's going to go on this layer. So it, it's wow. very interesting. Yeah, man, that's pretty crazy. So are you, are you having to sort of... Um, you know, like sometimes when we create our, our work in Photoshop, we'll have tons and tons of layers and they're named like all different things. Are you having to, <laughs> to kind of, before you send it to those print guys, are you having to kind of simplify a little bit, like maybe like flatten some, I mean, some areas, some layers to be, so that you can kind of make it simpler for them to go in and say, let's turn this layer off or are they doing um. that? Yeah, definitely. They they would hope that you simplify your your Photoshop document for you because they'll probably strangle you otherwise if you got layer one, layer two, layer three, and you haven't named them. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they but, don't want to go through and deal with all that. <laughs> yeah, so we try to. I mean, I've had a vice from the guy I'm working side by side with. He's kind of you know coaching me along, saying you know this is how we kind of set up our Photoshop files and. You know, it's interesting because they actually, all the cards are, I thought they would have been set up in like InDesign, but they're actually set up in Illustrator. Oh, and really? You're pulling, yeah, you're, you're actually setting everything up in Illustrator and your Photoshop work is pretty much like your base of the card. So you're kind of just pulling that in, in from Photoshop into Illustrator, but you're doing all your four color artwork and like Illustrator, like your bars and your, your diamond cuts and everything. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I would have thought that that would be like InDesign too. Maybe do like the type or something in InDesign, and and then like pull in some sort of background, you know, the heavy Photoshop background graphic as like a flattened TIFF or something like that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. But it's you know, they do solely everything is in Illustrator, and then you're doing your main, you're like your base in Photoshop, and you're doing your you know any special you know background graphics in Photoshop, and just kind of pulling that into Illustrator. That's awesome, man. So it's 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 such an interesting industry, and and I think just like I was mentioning earlier, kind of being back involved heavily in sports, and then obviously having kids, and just kind of getting back, starting to appreciate the memorabilia thing again. It's 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 really intriguing to me. So I'm curious, like, are you are you constantly sort of constrained to like? Uh, you know, just whatever the card size is, or are you able to work on other projects there as well? Or are you just like, you're literally designing cards, you're a card designer and that's what you do. Are you doing packaging any, or like any of the stand up displays or anything like that? Uh, right now I'm, I'm doing the cards, but I'm also doing what they call UDA, which is upper deck authentics. And what upper deck authentics can range from, you know, anything. It's like certain memorabilia where it's like a display from an NBA, a piece of NBA floor with a backdrop that has like, 
you know, Kobe Bryant. So like a mini poster in a, in a uh, court display or, you know, just strictly a, a poster print or, you know, it could be, you know, it just ranges. So the Upper Deck Authentics, you know, I'm kind of getting my feet wet right now with that. I'm doing a, a display piece for NBA court floor and I'm also doing a, a, a limited poster print. That's awesome, man. I think most of us, when we think about Upper Deck, we automatically resort to trading cards. But is there anything that uh, at the company when you got there that maybe surprised you that you didn't know that Upper Deck did? Yeah, I mean, just the just the whole UDA thing, and I mean, it's just like I thought it was just like constant cards going in. I was just like, oh, we're only going to do is cards day in and day out. But you know, you're surprised that you know they're always thinking they have guys that are just like in research and development that are just brainstorming away every day, like new, you know, what's in the market right now that's not out there that we can introduce. So it's just amazing, like you know, how many ideas are, are flying, you know, through the through the dugout every day there well i think it's i'm looking at upper deck's website right now and just seeing like a section for b2b it makes me curious like it's almost like you're offering services too yeah i mean i it's, it's what i do right now i mean it's just what i do but beyond i mean they 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 dabble in so much that you know i didn't think there was that many people within upper deck that are you know assigned to just certain areas that's cool well, let's kind of in, in wrapping up here, I notice you and I, we're Facebook friends and I also follow you on like Behance and Dribble and all that. And I've, I've noticed that you've really stepped up recently creating f- experimental and personal work. I'm curious how important those personal works are to your growth as a creative. And I mean, are you ever able to take any of that, that work or those experiments that you do and pull them into your day-to-day upper deck? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I... Doing my personal stuff on the side, you'll see that pop up on my Behance or my Dribble. It's just I do that as a way to just kind of, you know, so I don't have tunnel vision. I can open my mind and just dabble with some other stuff because I think, uh, you know, I heard from Dan Simon, you know, who happens to be, you know, the massive logo designer that he is. He said, you know, you always have to be prepared. He told me, he said, you know, for anything. So you don't want to lean too much into just focusing on one thing. You know, start thinking ahead uh, and be prepared for other stuff. So I like to, you know, personally just work on, you know, I'll give myself, assign myself a, a you know, a fake project that I'll do. I'll be like, oh, I'm going to do a, a beer label today or I'm going to do, you know, a logo for this company. And I, just, I think it's good to just get you out of that tunnel vision mode. Yeah, no doubt, man. And you mentioned Dan Simon. He he's of for anybody that's not familiar, that's Studio Simon. Uh, he's a he's a sports branding designer that's actually an hour away from me up in Louisville, Kentucky. Did you so you, did you have a private conversation with him, or how did you end up connecting with Dan? Yeah, I reached out to Dan in the email once. And said, I'm always interested in just uh, these guys' backgrounds that are just logo focused. Like, how do they like? I mean, I love branding and I mm-hmm. love logo design, and I, and I was just like, I. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm blessed to have these guys write back to me like Todd Radom and Fan Brands and Dan Simon and Joe. And, you know, I just kind of picked their brains and just asked them how they got in, you know, how they got doing what they got doing. And uh, Dan was just really cool. He emailed me back and just kind of gave me a rundown of how he got into the business, which is a which is a cool story. And then he just, you know, he had a couple he had a couple quotes in his email that just stuck with me. And he's just like, you know, you're. Getting to where you want to go is, is basically your preparation and your and your timing is going to equal that luck of landing that job. He said, you know, always be prepared. Yeah, Dan Dan has a great story. A lot of these guys are so open to just chatting. I mean, there's really no... That's what I love about this industry is there's really not a whole lot of uh, quote-unquote trade secrets. You know, it's just kind of like, hey, you, got, you, know, you just got to meet the right people and, and keep grinding it out and you'll eventually get opportunities. Because... I think when you get to a certain level, like a lot of people, th- there's a lot of parity in talent, right? Like a lot of people are good with Photoshop. A lot of people are good, uh, you know, the, some of the branding guys are, they're all mm-hmm. sort of almost equal in terms of like their talent level in illustrator or whatever. But it's, it's just interesting to me. This, and, and this, I, this is why I love this industry so much. I mean, everybody, I mean, just think about you and I, we, we followed each other for a long time and, um, all the relationships that we've been able to develop and, and just kind of go back and forth. But Dan's story is like, Pretty crazy. I'm, I'm working on trying to get Dan on the show. We're trying to uh, trying to figure out 
if if he wants he's he's trying to decide if he even wants to come on <laughs> to be honest with you because he's, <laughs> he's 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 a you know he's a little older in his career and he's just uh, trying to decide if he if he if he's able to bring value, which he totally would be able to bring value. Uh, yeah, and I both know that. <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no doubt Dan will bring value. He wrote me an email that was just like pages long, and I was just like, wow, you know, he took the time out from his schedule to do this for me. You know, it's, it's a blessing to you know be close to these guys, like you said. You know, we went to MLC Connect, we got to see the guys in person, like Torch and yep. and yep. Todd Radom, and it's just so you know, it's just a blessing to have these guys, you know, cross our paths and and, and part their wisdom upon us. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, listen, uh, and wrapping up, where can listeners support your work and follow you online and, and all that type of stuff? Yeah, so you can follow me on my website, which is just www.aaronmasic.com. Uh, you can follow me on my dribble. I think it's just dribble.com slash Masic. Uh, you can look me up on LinkedIn. You can look me up on Behance. It's just my last name, Masic. Uh, and if anybody ever has questions or anything, I'm always the big part of about me is, you know, I have a humble uh, start from in the business and then. The thing I can only do for people is just give back. So if you have questions, uh, you you know, just email me at info at AaronMasic.com. I'll try to help you guys out the best I can. Uh, I know a lot of people always ask me, how do you get your foot in the door? And, you know, how do how do you do this? How do you do that? And I'm just here to, you know, to impart my wisdom and, and just carry on the tradition that, you know, the other guys have given us. So I just want to. You know, put that out there for for people who have any you know questions and they feel like you know they can't reach us. Yeah, absolutely, man. And then they can follow you on Twitter too at Masic Eight. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And that, and that for everybody that's that's Masic M A S I K Eight. That's his Twitter account. Well, man, listen, I really appreciate your time. I'm so glad we got to finally connect on this thing. Um, and uh, and I'm hoping to maybe I'll see you at MLC again this year. We'll see about that, I guess. Yeah, I hope I'm, I'm. I'm trying to poke uh, the upper deck into sending me there. I'm not. I'm not sure. I might have to start a Kickstarter fund or something to get me there. But <laughs> get a scholarship I, going for. Yeah, it. yeah. I know. I know. Chris. Chris really wants me to be there. He said I have to defend my my logo tight. Uh, you know, my title that I won there. Yeah, no doubt, man. But, you and, you mean and Ross <laughs> took it took it to the uh, to the end there. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, listen, man. Uh, thanks a lot, and, uh, and and I, you know, I really appreciate, it and I think a lot of our our listeners will. Will like this as well. Yeah, thank you, Adam. I mean, it's it's been a long time coming, and I'm just uh, you know appreciate you having me on the show and, and able to touch other people that you want to dabble in this business or get their foot in the door. Awesome. Thanks again, Aaron. My next guest is going to be Mikael Jackson. Mikael's official title is Associate Director of Athletic Communications at St. John's University Athletics up in New York City. St. John's is probably most notable for producing the NBA great Chris Mullins, uh, and it's had a lot of success in the Big East, in the in the history of the Big East Conference. Uh, it's a basketball school, and Mikhail manages all digital and print communications as creative director there. He also does quite a bit of freelance with clients such as the Phoenix Suns, Under Armour, his alma mater, the University of Michigan, and many, many more college athletics clients. If interested in learning more, you can follow Mikhail on Twitter at Mikhail Jackson, M-E-K-A-L-E Jackson. Big thanks again to Aaron Masick for taking some time to come aboard the show. I know he was able to definitely give you some insight into working professionally in team sports, and uh, hopefully hopefully some of you are able to to take that advice and, and use it in your own careers. I'm very glad we finally got an, a chance to connect for this episode. As mentioned, you can follow him on Twitter at Masick. Eight. That's M-A-S-I-K-8. Or check out his work at AaronMasic.com. If you're interested in hearing more episodes, head over to makersofsport.com slash episodes to check out previous interviews or listen to the original halftime episodes where I discuss business, entrepreneurship, and freelance in the sports industry. Speaking of those halftime episodes, the Makers of Sport community has officially launched. All future halftime episodes will be available to community members only. If you want to support the podcast, you can join the community at makersofsport.com slash community. We actually just had our first live Q&A, which was recorded and is available to listen to even, even if you missed it and join the community now or later. It was with my trademark IP lawyer, 
Will Montague of Montague Law PLLC. Will gave us some valuable insights into trademark and copyright law, and we discussed what you need to make sure that is included in your contracts as a freelancer. And then also we cleared up some misconceptions about working with lawyers. Again, this show is not sponsor supported. I'm not selling your ears to sponsors by making you the product. The podcast is always the product. If you enjoy the content and you want this show to exist, then please support the show. You can do it by joining the community. And and in addition to joining the community, you actually get additional content, which includes the live Q&A, such as the one with my trademark lawyer, monthly Google Hangouts, future halftime episodes, which will also include the transcriptions, so the actual written transcriptions of the show, discounts on future products, and as well as an invite to the Slack community. I've actually found that I've been spending more time in Slack interacting with the 30 or so community members in there than I have on Twitter. It's definitely active, and it's a great place to receive positive, constructive, and private feedback. If you want to join there, know that every single dollar that the community makes is going to make the podcast a better experience for you and others. Hopefully, I'll see you soon in there. Uh, if not, if joining the community just isn't for you or you just don't have financially, you're not able to right now, it's totally fine. Have no fear. The interview episodes will always be free from now until the end of doing the show whenever that ends up being be it death or whatever (laughs) Um, also please be sure to sign up for weekend reads which is a weekly newsletter where I write exclusive content and share the things that I've been reading things that I find interesting or inspiring for the week and in addition you'll be notified of upcoming guests and get podcast show notes delivered to your inbox if you're going to miss those half times and you're not able to join the community right now then you definitely want to sign up for that newsletter because those are sort of morphing into a written version of halftime anyway. So definitely go there, sign up, makersofsport.com slash email to stay in the loop with the show. Lastly, please take one to two minutes, head over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes and hit the five star and write about your experience with the show. If you've gotten value from myself, if you got value from Aaron today, let him know. Write a review of the show of that particular episode in iTunes. And if you don't have iTunes, then likes or ratings are always accepted on Stitcher SoundCloud or whichever application you happen to be listening to the podcast in. I'm at T. Adam Martin on Twitter and Dribble. The show is at Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week.